The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. As you begin your spiritual journey, you are often told what to do and receive advice on which path to follow. But as you move along, eventually you need to become your own guide. Progress can be difficult at times, but once you reach new levels of awareness, the inner vistas are spectacular. Welcome to Nurturing the Spiritual Spelunker in All of Us. Your guide and companion is Giles Asselin. Come join us now on this path of exploration. Here is your host, Giles Asselin. Good afternoon, everyone, or good evening. Bonsoir à ceux qui écoutent depuis la France. This is Jill again. Welcome back. If you listen in the past few weeks, or welcome. If you, if this is the first time you listen to Nurturing the Spiritual Spelunker in All of Us, this is all about um, reflecting and, um, and diving in and see what happens and see, see what goes on in the... In the river, underneath the river, that's one image I have for this uh, for this show. You know, so much going on, so much uh, unconscious that we can bring back to the surface when we spend the time and when we um, do the work. And um, it's been a good week, and um, there's one thing that has to do with being and spelunking that I wanted to bring back to the show. It, it's... Um, the dichotomy or the just juxtaposition uh, when you put two things together and see how they they work or do not work between doing and being and um, it seems to me that I've said quite a bit about the being and, and the relationship the way we looked at it in the field of uh, cross-cultural relations in terms of affiliation and people the way we build trust in the first place as opposed to doing when it's mostly about, you know, commitment to something we need to do, a project, a task, and then the relationship tends to be somewhat secondary. And uh, I've been reflecting on that, and there's things also came up in a sense, and the, the, the image that, that came to mind is like the tide. You know, the tide of the ocean brings back things to the shore, things we haven't, I haven't uh, completely dealt with. And that's... Um, that's what this week made me think about. Two small instances, um, very, you know, very gentle, very simple about um, the doing. And the first one is about, um, is about this past Monday. It was a Memorial Day in the U.S., so we had a holiday. And um, we went out for lunch, quite a late lunch, around 2 o'clock, and then out to a park. It was very hot that day, so we had to find a, a park with a lot of shade which we did, um, not too far from Princeton. There was a big, um, like a big sand area, not so much a box because uh, the outer edge of the sand park was made of stones, big stones. And there were a few families there and um, we were sitting, my wife and I, looking at our son having some, uh, some sandy time. And um, again, we were not really doing anything 
that I was observing. I like to observe people. It's um, it's a good pastime for me, you know, just looking around and see what people do. And, and I was amazed by the consistency at what I observed in a sense that there were um, women all around chatting or doing things and taking care of their children. And the men, at least three men, um, were taking care of their children. At the same time, they were checking their phone. And they were, I don't know what they were doing, you know, internet or texting or whatever. But it was very consistent. And what I enjoyed noticing, it was consistent across cultures. There were three men from three different ethnic backgrounds. And the three of them were doing something with their phone. Uh, so it's really a doing to me. It's a very much of a doing activity. And at the same time, they were next to their children and saying a few words to them. Or one man was um, pushing his daughters on a swing. And uh, the first one I noticed was Indian. Uh, the second one, I think, was African-American. And the third one was white, or white American. And I thought it's very interesting because it made me reflect on this, not this doing thing, which is so much part of our lives. Um, I mean, in the world, but... I think more so in the U.S. I mean, the U.S. is very much, the way we describe it in the field of intercultural relation, it's very much of a doing, uh, achievement-oriented culture. Uh, there's even expressions that, that do not make sense elsewhere. I don't think that the word bottom line means a lot outside the U.S. or possibly outside Anglo-Saxon countries. But um, there's a context into it. Uh, and if you don't understand the context of the society in which you live, it's difficult to make sense uh, of that expression and, and others that go along the that go along this one, and um, that was very interesting. Again, you know, I thought to myself, is this doing thing a more pronounced uh, attribute in man? And based on what I observed on Monday, obviously, I have to say yes. And if you look at the way the world has been uh, ruled uh, for time, for, you know, from times immemorial, uh, there's been a lot of male ruling in the world and a lot of doing, which has led to a lot of, you know, wars and, and all the things, all the turmoil that we know of and that we are still experiencing today. I mean, so I think we need more, I don't know if we need more women uh, in high level positions around the world, but I think we need more feminine energy. And I believe that men as well have a lot of feminine energy within. And I think the, I wouldn't say the trick, but the, the goal would be to unlock that, that feminine energy in all of us and find a point where we, we could achieve, achieve uh, some sort of a balance. I think that's what, that's what is healthy in many, in many contexts and situations, the balance between mind and soul, uh, the balance between spirit and matter. Uh, the balance between men and women, the balance between feminine and masculine. And um, so that was my reflection of, um, of early this week. And then on, um, I believe it was Tuesday morning when I was checking my email, there was um, the weekly newsletter of my friend uh, Ashtara, who is based in Glastonbury. And there was lots of quotes, and one from Thomas Merton, uh, Thomas is obviously a man, a U.S. man, and I don't know exactly when he lived, possibly 18th or 19th century. I didn't go back to check that out. But he wrote, uh, we are so obsessed with doing that we have no time and no imagination left for being. As a result, men are valued not what for they are, not 
for what they are, but for what they do or what they have, for their usefulness. We must make the choices that enable us to fulfill the deepest capacities of our real selves. And what makes us you know, fulfill these deepest capacities, I think to me it goes way beyond, way beyond the doing. I think it's something else uh, at the bottom of our psyche, at the bottom of ourselves. You know, it's something that complements ourselves again. And I go back to this idea of balance between, between the doing and the being. And as I said, it's not only a question of, please don't understand me wrong, it's not a question of women only having feminine energies and male having masculine energies. In my case, I guess I can talk about my situation in the home that I grew up. My, my father was a, a fairly gentle, a fairly um, simple, in a sense also, um, person, a very um, soft, soft-spoken not very assertive in a sense. And all the power and all the assertiveness, I could see it coming from my mother. And sometimes with a yelling voice or sometimes with an iron fist. You know, she wanted to do something and, and she kept pushing until she got it. And um, that's interesting, you know, how do I live with that, that paradox that perhaps in society we have more feminine energies in, uh, in women. And because they are more relationship, they are more nurturing, um, they are more uh, into taking care of people. They are more into being than they are into doing and achieving and performing. And, um, and uh, so I got, in a sense, a, a paradox between, uh, between that and um, the, doing, the doing orientation we see in societies. Uh, and uh, again, the importance of uh, masculine energies all around the world in those conflicts, in those governments, in those institutions, and what I experienced at home. How do I reconcile that? And um, I don't seem to be confused on a, on a conscious level, but I, I think that I was somehow on an, um, an unconscious level. And it goes back to the experience that I had back in um, October at that retreat. I mentioned it about six or seven shows ago, so I'm not going to get back into it, but... Um, Again, there's on my, on my blog, nurturingthegiftofseeking.org, there's a video from Greg Braden that talks about especially the mirrors, the mirror, the SNE mirrors that reflects back to us uh, some of our truth. And the mirror number five is about the Godfather and the Goddess Mother. And, uh, you know, what we think about our mothers and fathers in real life is reflected in the belief that we had about the Goddess Mother and the Godfather. And uh, I think it's an interesting, um, interesting point of spelunking to reflect on that, what he says, Greg Barton says, and what you experience in your life at home and in societies. There's many different levels of um, so-called analysis or assessment. But um, I think it's, um, it's a good point to observe and a good point to, to dig in, I think. It's... Um, and one more example, uh, this is the second thing I noticed this week. Um, this is about soccer. I've talked about soccer um, quite a bit also in the past. And um, this weekend was more or less, the, in Europe, was more or less the last um, day of the national championships. 
And in Madrid, Madrid is one of the greatest uh, European teams in Spain is Real Madrid. And uh, they finished second in their championship this year uh, behind Barcelona. And over the weekend, their coach, uh, his name is Italian coach called Carlo Ancelotti, got sacked. And I was reflecting on that. He's been, he's been in this position for about two years, which is pretty short when you're leading one of the richest and most talented team in Europe. And last week, last year, sorry, he brought that team to the pinnacle, pinnacle of fame, pinnacle of performance again, uh, because his team won the, the Champions League um, about a year ago against another team from Madrid. And a year later, uh, talking again about performance, this guy is being sacked. Uh, the team got kicked out of the Champions League about a week, a week and a half ago by another Italian team, and he finished second in his, um, in his championship. So in the end, in terms of performance, it's, it's, it's zero or one. It's night or, or day. LBC got the night. It got the, it got the zero, zero pointe, as we would say in French. And that's it. He's gone. And I don't know exactly, obviously, what went on. I didn't read anything about it. I just noticed it. And I thought, this is very much of a, of a doing decision. You know, the people who are rule, people who have the money especially, are the ones that are into the doing. And the heart, you know, the spirit takes so little uh, place in this decision, at least coming from, from an observer outside. And the relationship itself, you know, the, this coach, Carlo Ancelotti, brought this team, the Real Madrid, to the top of Europe, and then there was another championship earlier this year to the top of the world. And yet, uh, six months down the road, there's no gain. Reputation has been tarnished, and we need to move on. And, and you realize how this doing uh, culture, this doing energy in, in wherever it is, has such a, a short-term perspective. You don't go very far. You know, it doesn't work. That's it. You move on. And I thought it was um, it was pretty interesting, and that's very much that's maybe the, the, the epitome of the of the doing decision in this context of seeing uh, someone being sacked uh, after a year of you know a year of success, and yet uh, where is the recognition? Where is the gratefulness that would come out of a more a more feminine um, feminine attitude? And um, Unfortunately, you know, there's still so much of the world which is being run by this masculine and the, this money-minded uh, culture, in a sense. And, and um, it's very unfortunate. And going back with the... It goes very well with the topic of, the, of today's. You know, the theme is about, is about transforming. And I was hesitating in terms of choosing the title between healing and transforming. And I think, I think that the, the title, the word transform, transforming encapsulate this notion of healing because to what extent do you change who you are? I don't know. If it's a question of identity, I don't know. But you transform something within and that goes very well with the metaphor of the field which is being plowed, which is being open so that in that openness, in, in that vulnerability, something else can take root, something which is much purer, once you've done all the work um, that needs to be done in terms of uh, cleansing the field, going within, you know, acknowledging what, what goes on and possibly the, not only the dirt, but the ugliness that you may be able to witness. 
a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned, you know, Dalai Lama asking us to look at our little faults. And sometimes we have little faults and sometimes we have bigger faults. And I think it's important to acknowledge them and not just push them under the rug. We acknowledge them for what they are for ourselves. And that's it. They're just there and they belong to the past. And there's ways to turn the, the, the field around in a sense, turn the field up and to, to start anew, to start afresh and grow something, uh, something young and something vibrant. And um, that's what I wanted to share. Before I go more into, into healing and into this, this concept of transforming the field, I wanted to, to share with you um, at the beginning of the second segment a song that I mentioned uh, when I closed last week's episode. Uh, a song from a, a young man called John Henrik. And he, he belongs to a culture called the Sami, S-A-M-I. I think they call themselves the Sapmi, S-A-P-M-I. And they live in Northern Europe across, I think across Norway, uh, Sweden and, and Finland, and possibly a bit of Russia as well. And their main job, at least this young man's job, is to, to herd uh, reindeers. And that's what he does from morning, from very early in the morning until, until late at night. He lives along um, the life of the reindeers. And last year, uh, he was selected amongst um, the finalists for You've Got Talent in Sweden. He lives in Sweden. And he came up with a beautiful song, which is called uh, Daniel's Joke. Joke is, a, I assume it's a Swedish or Sami word, J-O-J-K. Possibly joke, I don't know. And this is a song in honor of one of his friends uh, who died. He didn't say how his friends died, but uh, he passed away. And he said when, uh, when uh, John Henrik was on the video that I watched, he said that the his friend's passing was the most traumatic thing that he witnessed in his life, in his young life. And he was, you could feel, you could feel the sincerity of his, of his young man. And he offered to, to us uh, this song, which is very, very healing, very soothing. And it's exactly what I want to, to nurture in this show about transforming. And so the song will play at the beginning of the second segment, and I will come right after it. Uh, enjoy it for yourself. See how you feel. Uh, it's available on, on uh, YouTube, so you can go back and uh, get some background and uh, and enjoy the song some more if you'd like. But uh, again, it's a very it's a very moving song, even though you may not understand the words. I think I understand very few people understand the words. So I will uh, I will wish you. Um, a nice break in a sense, and I will see you right after John Henrik's song. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Now there's a new destination for video content, VoiceAmerica.tv. Just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7. VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us support. 
These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Nurturing the Spiritual Spelunker in All of Us with Giles Asselin. To reach the program, call in to 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to seeking at nurturingthegift.org. Now, back to the program.
Thank you very much for listening. This is Jill again. I hope you enjoyed the song. Again, it's a, the silence now sounds different to me. You know, silence can convey a lot of things and, and the silence that I hear now seems, sounds more silent to me than Earlier on, where we stopped talking in the first segment, you know, something happens within. I don't know exactly what it was, you know, but I think this song has a special, um, a special quality, a special capacity. When I listened to it for the first time, which must have been like two or three weeks ago, I felt like a rush of energy coming from the bottom of my feet up towards my, almost to my head. It felt very 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 healing and um, I enjoy this young man's uh, beautiful voice I think he has the capacity the ability to to convey something that goes beyond beyond the words because the words his voice may be beautiful but we don't understand the words and I think it's not essential in this case to to understand what he's saying and um, it's my it's my assumption that he he wrote the song and he sang the song in honor of his friend Daniel, who again, who passed. Uh, we don't know how, uh, in which circumstances. But um, I think it was a healing for, for his friend as well as for himself. I would think so. Healing is his pain and his sorrow. And 
whatever that means to you and him and, and I, you know, whatever pain you can feel in your life. Um, there's many ways to find, um, to find some sort of a, I would say a spiritual ointment, you know, something that you put on your soul in a sense, and that gives you a sense of, of healing. I've been putting a lot of cream on my body for the past few weeks. I have strange things happening here and there. Um, so that's where the metaphor came back, came from. Uh, this idea of putting cream on your, on your spirit, on your soul. It's the feeling that I got in a sense. You know, it's bigger than your, just your physical body. It's something else. It comes from somewhere else. I think he's, um, he's bringing this young man, John Henrik, he's bringing spirit into our lives. And um, feel free to listen to the song. I mean, it's available on YouTube. It's available on Amazon if you want to buy it. And um, when I listened to the song, it didn't make me feel about my own story. Um, I think what I may still need to heal is not that conscious. It's still lingering somewhere in the depth, in the depth of my psyche. But um, when I think about the topic again, the reason why these, you know, these three or four shows about the field came up in the context of um, me doing the show, I and mean, there must be a reason, coming, something coming again spiritually out of my life, out of my own spelunking. And the question that came along with this uh, show is like, um, how do we prepare the field for the sowing? Because once we do the healing, I think it's not just a question of what I would call selfish healing. There's much more to that. I mean, there's a reason why we suffer what we suffered. There's a reason in life why we go through what we are going to through. Even though you may not call what you've been going through or what we've been going through a dark night of the soul. I think the words, again, are secondary. I think it's what, what our being is, is, is telling us and our being, our soul, doesn't need words to communicate. It comes from somewhere else. It comes from a point of deeper consciousness, which is not yet conscious, I think, but it's, it's slowly seeping you know, for our being up to the surface. And that's why we need to, in the process, what we need to, to heal is the blocks or the blinders or whatever that prevents us from accessing that, that deeper levels of, of con these deeper levels of consciousness. And so anytime we go through suffering, I think, uh, I think there's a purpose. And um, one of the questions I had for the show, you know, what will come out of this inner transformation, this inner opening, this inner offering of your life, of our life to the rest of the world? For what is the purpose there? Or if you want to put it in other words, you know, why do we go through this, for this ordeal? And at times, you know, I think it's been preordained. I mean, there must be some mystical force out there that is telling us to go through this. And what I read, and I don't have any remembrance of that, is that it's something that we chose before we incarnated. It's something we may have discussed with our karmic uh, counselors, whatever you want to call these entities if you believe in reincarnation. 
But I think there's a path, the path created for ourselves. And the path that John Henrik understands very well. And that's why he is, you know, he's soothing out the path for us. And there's many others who do that with words, with songs, with music. With, uh, it could be a psychotherapist as well. I mean, it's a question of um, finding the right, the right medium, in a sense, the right, the right person as well. It surely go all the right messengers. And as I reflected on my own experience, which um, little by little started to get you know, some meaning over the past few years, I'm talking about my dark night of the soul, which took place 24 years ago. At the time, I had no clue what was going on. I was just trying to survive, and I did. And I think that's what happened, happened. You know, you can't change uh, the past. And sometimes you just try to walk forward and not so much uh, backward. But it, two or three weeks ago, and it's another, another blessing, another gift from Sweden, I came across the words of a young woman, another young woman in her 20s, uh, her name is uh, Sarah Isabel Marie, or Sarah Marie Isabel Johansson. And uh, she wrote something about the dark night of the soul, which may, I may have quoted last week already, but um, it really rang true. And uh, you know, we know when you read something, and, and it feels like you, in a sense. It feels like what you went through, and you can, you can almost identify the groove the growth of your life, uh, the feeling that you experienced back then, and it, it feels almost like magic. And um, even the metaphor that she's been using were very similar in my sense. She used the, to describe the dark night of the soul, she's used the metaphor of the walls or the ceiling or the floor of your life, of our lives, um, going away, disappearing in a sense. And that's exactly the feeling I had when things happened. I was playing table tennis on the second floor of a building at the YMCA in Oshkosh. And my feet were still on solid ground, but I felt something had cracked open. And I couldn't explain it. I was, I had no more water in a sense. I didn't know where I was going in my life. There was no more floor. There was no more pavement to walk on to use a metaphor. So I wanted to share what she wrote in a, in a post last month. It's called, An Awakened Soul is an Awakening World. And she said, going for the dark night of the soul is a process when one is being dismantled off of any perceived security and safety made in the illusion and the identities and structures that do not support the emergence of a new self. And that sentence also made me think about what I went through when I was trying to rebuild myself. And um, I was getting this image of a scaffolding, you know, something that, that's what you do when you do repair on a house, on the facade of the house. You put a scaffolding so that people can climb up and do their job. And when the scaffolding is no longer needed, then the house is ready to go. The facade is clean. It looks new. And um, again, a metaphor that really talks to me. And she said to continue, this process is temporary. And it is there to shift the base frequency of your house in order to carve the space for the new to be birthed. And that which will bring you a true sense of fulfillment 
abundance, joy, and prosperity as you merge with your divine purpose and what you are here to share with the world. This is the gift that the shadows carries. And as you heal the shadow within, for the light of your own spirit, you plant the seed of divine love for races and generations to come. So again, what she says, that's the end of our quote, fits so very well. This is image of the field that we have to plow and open and transform so that um, you can plant the seed of the divine love for races and generations to come. That's what I was saying earlier on. This process of healing is not a question of selfish healing. There's a reason why this thing happened to us. There's a reason why we have to do this kind of work. This, there's a reason why we need to go through this process, which again, does not quite happen by chance or accident. I use the word preordained, I guess. It's the word that made sense in the context of what I experienced, in the context of what was revealed to me in the years, in, I would say in the past five years. And I had to wait you know, so many years to get to that point. And I think a master told me once, uh, Joel Cole, to mention his name, that there's a lot of things that start to make sense in hindsight. When we see something happening and we reflect back, and then suddenly we see the light, we see the reason why. When we're in the midst of something, it's very difficult to understand the why, because the why may lie in the future, even though you keep hearing that the past the now and the future are the same. In a sense, they are. Because the now, when you're going for something, carries the seed of the future. Carries the seed of your knowing, in a sense. And again, I was very, um, very amazed at this quote, which goes so neatly, again, into the process of what I was describing and into the process of what I was conveying in terms of the metaphor of the field. There's a reason why, I guess. And it's also a reason to, to have hope that nothing is wasted in a sense. You know, in a doing culture, there's so much about fighting waste. You want all your time to be productive. In the spiritual realm, I think it's not quite the same uh, reasoning. But I would agree as well that nothing is wasted. Everything that we do will bear fruit at some point. And we have to keep that that knowing in front of us, especially when it comes, you know, when the times become fairly dark and we are going for difficult times. And um, that's what I wanted to share with you in relation to John Henrik's song, this beautiful song of healing, and uh, a piece of my story that uh, keeps uh, sipping back, in a sense, into my, my consciousness. So thank you. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. 
The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Could you be the next legendary leader? That question hinges on your courage and willingness to change. Join Maria Danley every week for Legendary Leaders Answering the Higher Calling. Be inspired by stories and legend and listen to legendary guests along with live channeling to help you answer your higher calling and become the legendary leader you are destined to be. The world is waiting for you. Step up and join the wave. Tune in every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Listening to Nurturing the Spiritual Spelunker in All of Us with Giles Asselin. To reach the program, call in to 1 866 472 5795. That's 1 866 472 5795. You may also send an email to seeking at nurturingthegift.org. Now, back to the program. Hello, this is Jill again. Thank you very much for listening and being here today. What just entered my mind in terms of what I shared about the value of what we go through is, is the importance of being present. Presence, you may have heard about presence, there's been so much uh, written about this concept, but present in just any kind of situation of our whole, whole being, our whole consciousness. And it's not... It's not easy to do. I mean, it's not easy to, to see what life is all about, to see the truth for what it is. There's things sometimes we don't like to face. And I was thinking back about these three guys at the playground on Monday who are supposedly taking care of their children and at the same time checking their messages or browsing the internet. And yes, they were present physically, but they were not there spiritually or they were not there emotionally, I guess, possibly if the child had a question or... The man, it was a man, the man, the father would have been there. But, but I know what purpose does it serve if you're only half there in a situation? You may see with your eyes, the eyes of your body, but you may not see with the eyes of your consciousness. You may not be able to absorb what needs to be absorbed or what, what needs to be learned, I guess. And sometimes the lesson is, is very subtle. As I said again, you know, it's not a, it's a question of words. It's a question of, of being there, of being available, of being open, I think, more than anything else. And one more example of doing versus being came to mind. A very small one. In this case, a woman. And we were at the swimming pool a few weeks back for our son's um, swimming lesson. And there was a woman next to us um, wearing a swimsuit. And uh, you know, I looked at her and um, 
she was reading on a Kindle, on a, you know, like the digital whatever device. She was reading and, you know, my inquisitive mind was saying, you know, she's reading Kindle now. She's wearing a swimsuit, so maybe she was dry. So um, possibly waiting to go into the water. And then a few minutes after that, um, a group of people came with uh, one of the people who were disabled. And it turns out that she was going to, to teach or to um, help this disabled person in the swimming pool. So she had to wait for about, about 10 minutes. And I was thinking to myself, you know, it's only 10 minutes of your life. And yet, this person, or just about anyone, she needed to fill that void. I think void is the word that would fit with the doing culture. She would need to fill that void with an activity. And why not just being there? Why not just watching people? Why not just, you know, preparing the environment for what is next to happen. I want to take care of this person who is coming in about five minutes. Why can't I create the conditions for this lesson or whatever needs to happen to be the best it can be? There's so much we can quote-unquote do even if we don't do anything. And um, sometimes I sit on the couch here in our living room, I gaze outside and all I can see, I'm going to turn around now, but it's mostly covered by leaves, green leaves that came out uh, gratefully. They came out about a month and a half ago. This is a process that all of us know called the spring, when the sap goes up in the trees, and then the shoots come out, and then you have leaves, you have flowers. And this is just a simple process that we may take for granted because we see it up every year. And what about taking those five or 10 minutes of our life to be grateful for that, to be grateful for those cycles of nature? And um, that was the, the reflection I wanted to share. But again, why don't we have to spend 10 minutes of our life reading a Kindle? I, I do that as well. So I don't want to be my own devil's advocate, but at home I do that as well. I have a tendency to going to my smartphone fairly often. I don't do that outside because I don't bring it. So I'm a, on a safe ground in a sense. But, um, you know, why? That's the spelunking question of the day, if you want. That's the spelunking question of the show, if you wish. Why do we need to do that? Is it part of our doing uh, pressure, in a sense, that is um, impacting us? And then we start doing things in autopilot. Again, we're not present. We just do things. We push on buttons, pushing on buttons. And why is this so? You know, why is this that we can't tune in into something different, something more in terms of our inner environment and trying to commune what we have within with what goes without? And um, I think that is a big question for me as well in terms of what I want to do in the future. That important point aside, I guess, the why, I guess, the why is an important question to me. And the more you ask those questions, you know, the more you will possibly see things differently. At least it has been my experience. You, you will start to understand how things work within. And that, again, that's, that's the, the core of the process of spelunking. But talking about the value of what we go through sometimes and in terms of... Uh, 
our own experiences, I wanted to share a, a piece by still by this young woman from Sweden, where interestingly she moved from Sweden to the Canary Islands about a week ago. So I got to know her at this very time, at the time she was moving, I think there was something um, mystical. And meeting a person who is, you know, writing so much around the issue that I've been um, experiencing. And I believe I read this portion last week, but I would like to read it again because it's a very beautiful one. And it relates again to the difficult times we live in, in our lives, um, the, the dark time, the dark periods. And she says, this is what this world is in need of, to look another into the eye and say, I know what you have gone through, and I feel the pain, for I have been there myself. So please take my hand, and I will show you another way. It's not so much to me that there's another way, but there's a way out. We're not meant to stay you know, in that whatever hole, whatever sorrow, for the rest of our lives. There's a reason why we go there, the reason why we dip our feet and if you want, if we are, there's a reason why we deep our spiritual feet into that sorrow. But there's a reason, it's mostly a reason of change for all of us to gain a new perspective, possibly a, a more compassionate perspective. And then she continues and she says, competition and division will only lead to a ruling ego, a ruling world, if you want which has no sense of human compassion. We are very much into the doing side of what I was describing. The only way for the light to enter into your heart and being is through your wound. When you call forth the light into the space of where it is hurting the most, you have found your power. And it is the power of loving, the power of accepting thyself by knowing your worth. So again, there's a reason why we go into these dark times, dark holes in a sense, when you lose sense of hope. It's important that we've been there and that we can show the way out to someone else. And someone else might be a human being or it might be someone or something else. I don't know. It could be a community. And then she goes on to something at the core what I want to go into next which is unity consciousness. I've got quite a few messages in the past four, five, ten days about unity consciousness. And she says, this is the first stage of the teaching of the unity consciousness, to unite yourself with the dark and the light within you, to not reject the dark nor the wound by wanting to escape it, but to be completely present with it by loving it and inviting it, no matter how unpleasant or uncomfortable. And what she describes is a very difficult thing to do. Um, you know, the word, I have to be honest, the word masochist came to mind. We are not made to suffer. I don't think we are made to suffer for the rest of our lives. At the same time, suffering is very human. It's not something you can escape. We suffer, all of us suffer for tons of reasons. And again, there may be an unknown reason, unknown to you at the moment, reason why we go into despair, we go into this dark night of the soul or whatever feels threatening, feels um, anxious. 
And the reason why I wanted to talk about this unity consciousness is like, starting next week, um, I'm going to have a guest on, uh, on the show for most likely more than one show. And this guest's name is, um, his spiritual name is Altair, A-L-T-A-I-R. He's a man, a young, I would say a young man, he's about my age. He must be young. And um, I've got to know him fairly recently, I would say maybe in February or possibly January of this year. And yet, we seem to have walked so many paths together that it's, it's amazing the amount of synchronicity that we found in our lives. And um, he's a very deep spiritual being with lots of experiences here and there. I don't know all of them. I have heard a couple of them. And I know the quality of what he shares with us. And um, I'm sure we're going to have a very interesting dialogue starting next week. And the title for this um, series of dialogues that I will be having with Altair is uh, Building Unity Consciousness with Altair. So it's really the idea of inviting uh, all of you, all of us, to be part of this process and to reach out for something bigger than ourselves and bigger, suddenly bigger than our small experiences. I'm not trying to uh, belittle what we went through, but instead of looking down at where we came from or looking down at what was difficult in our lives, why don't we harvest that richness that we have in our lives and look up, look up for what we can co-create together in unity, in unity going beyond these physical limitations that we have. That's what I call consciousness. He will be talking about unity consciousness itself. I guess it's not a big part of the show. But a few weeks back, I shared a quote from Muji, and he said, try to conceive of yourself as something bigger than your body or your mind. Try to conceive of yourself as consciousness. And it's not an easy feeling because you can't put consciousness into a box or you can't put consciousness into a body like this. It's just like you open the cap at the top, then you fill in consciousness and you say to yourself, I am consciousness. Consciousness is something that pervades us, pervades us in a sense at all time, and that hopefully more and more consciousness comes when the darkness, you know, goes away. And so that's really the path I want all of us to take in the next few weeks, to look into this phenomenon, or whatever you call it, of unity consciousness, and to see how we can uh, contribute to it on a, on a, it's really more than the world, it's really... It's really the universe. I have no other words. So I really invite you from the bottom of my heart to join us next week, live or not live, and, um, and bring your share by listening and being present, uh, the way I define presence today in the show. So thank you very much, and I look forward to seeing you next week.
Thank you for joining us on Nurturing the Spiritual Spelunker in All of Us. Your personal journey, assisted by your guide and companion, Giles Asselin, will continue next Thursday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be sure to tune in again. Thank you.